Welcome to the StatMed Podcast, where we teach you how to study in med school and how to pass board-style exams. Your hosts are Ryan Orwig and David LaSalle, learning specialists who have decades of experience working with med students and physicians. This episode is the first of two in which Ryan sits down with Jim Colhane from Notre Dame of Maryland University School of Pharmacy. They talk about one of the most important study skills for medical students and professionals, retrieval practice. What it is, how to do it, and why you absolutely should. Talk about retrieval practice, uh, the importance of it, uh, why it works, some of the history, some of the evidence behind it, and then you and I'll sort of talk about some of the where people get hung up on it, and then we'll we'll go through a few of the our favorite ways to have our students engage in retrieval practice. Here's Ryan. Hey, welcome to the Stat Med Learning Podcast, where we talk about learning in med school and in medical education. I'm Ryan Orwig, learning specialist and creator of the Stat Med Learning Program. With me is my friend and colleague, Dr. Jim Culhane, the Assistant Dean for Student Academic Success Programs and a professor of pharmaceutical sciences at Notre Dame of Maryland University School of Pharmacy. So Jim, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for coming on board with me. Why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about your background? Ryan, thanks so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here today, and and I always I always enjoy having these conversations with you, and 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 that's why it's 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 really great to to have a chance to chat today about our topic. Um, so I've been uh, a pharmacy in pharmacy education for over twenty years now. Uh, my PhD is in pharmacology and toxicology, and and I've helped to launch two different schools of pharmacy over the first part of my career. I, I joined the administrative team here at Notre Dame of Maryland University as the founding chair of pharmaceutical sciences uh, at, uh, back in 2008 and uh, served in that role up until last year when I assumed a new position um, as the assistant dean of academic success programs here. The, uh, my move into that position was, was largely motivated by my relationship with you that we've developed over the last 10 years and, and some of the really great things that you've shared with me and my students and, and the faculty that I work with about evidence-based learning strategies and how and the unique way that you actually apply those uh, to help your students learn more effectively. Yeah, I mean, we met, it must have been about 10 years ago. I came up there, up to Baltimore and started working with your faculty, teaching them better methods for teaching and for guiding their students and for hopefully building better lectures. Yes. And then we started teaching a version of our StatMed class with students there. And, you know, every year I'm up there where we've always just talked about what strategies are the best strategies? Where are the pitfalls? Where are things breaking down? How do we unlock better learning strategies for your students, for my students, for all these students, right? right. Um, and that's sort of where, how we've gotten to know each other, I guess, right? Oh, absolutely. And I, you know, I think you and I uh, both share a real passion for helping helping students be successful academically. And, and I think that that's, that's really something that we share uh, in common a lot. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think you and I are both interested in systems, methods yes. and systems. And how can we give really smart, really motivated students, these professional students, how can we give them tools so that they can be self-empowered and they can unlock their ability so that we're not just helping them plug holes, but actually building systems themselves so that they can 
take that into the next semester, take it into the next year, take it for the rest of their career, because these people should be, uh, our students should be lifelong learners. And nobody wants to be inefficient and ineffective. And, right. Right. you know, it's like we, the big catchphrase, like nobody teaches smart students how to study. Um, and they get to these 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 doctoral programs, these these meds, these med school programs, these farm D programs, these veterinarian programs. And, you know, there's a huge percentage of these students that they don't know the best way forward. So, you know, today uh, we're going to talk about that that central one of the one of the big book for me, it's like a bookend piece for others. It might be more of a central piece uh, for any high-end learning activity, which should it should be about, about retrieval practice. So today, what we're going to do is talk about retrieval practice, uh, the importance of it, uh, why it works, some of the history, some of the evidence behind it. And then you and I'll sort of talk about some of the, where people get hung up on it. And then we'll, we'll go through a few of the, our favorite ways to have our students engage in retrieval practice. That sounds great. Big fan of retrieval practice, for sure. Yes, yes, you are. So... <laughs> I don't know, maybe give us a little bit of the background, like your take on the background of this, what we know about it. Give us a little like mini off the top of your head, TED talk. Sure. Um, yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll do my best. Um, so it's really interesting. My first real exposure to retrieval practice as a, a, a evidence-based learning strategy was actually from you, Ryan, when you came to do some faculty development for um, our, 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 our faculty and, and even working with some of our students. I'd never heard the term before, right. although when you, when you first explained it to me, it, it made a lot of sense. And I recognize that many successful students are kind of doing this naturally, this, this self-testing um, that, that many successful students do when they, as they're learning. The, um, you know, and as you and I began to work together kind of in those early years, my, my interest peaked in some of these things, I began to do a deep dive into the literature, the cognitive psychology and educational psychology literature, to try to learn a little bit more about some of the, the science and research that's been done that supports the use of things like retrieval practice, and then to think about how I could operationalize this or systematize it, like we, we talk about, yeah. so that I could teach my students how to do this in an, an effective way. So, you know, what I've learned uh, is that retrieval practice is one of at least a half a dozen uh, powerful evidence-based learning strategies that students can tap into and faculty can use in their teaching to help with learning and helping students to build what I refer to as a durable working knowledge base. So, um, retrieval practice is my understanding about the history behind retrieval practice is it's built, the term really comes from a, a broader term called the testing effect. And this was something that was uh, observed and essentially quote unquote discovered over a hundred years ago. So right. it, kind of blows, it kind of blows my mind that this, this testing effect has been known about for so, so long, but yet in higher education, at least, and, and in pharmacy education in general, it's it's just really starting to permeate uh, the the programs uh, across the country and faculty. Yeah, let me, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll interrupt you and then see if you can yeah. get back on your TED Talk horse that I'm throwing, throwing you on top of here. So, but yeah, I mean, th this is the thing, right? It's not, and it's not just the farm D programs. It's 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 med school. It's 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 middle school. It's all the way down. Like I was talking to my daughter about this. She's 13. And I'm talking to her about the difference between passively rereading stuff 
as opposed to engaging in attempts at recall. And she's like, well, yeah, I need to have go with, you know, this is before the, the lockdown and everything. She's like, I, I need to get together with my friend to do this, to quiz myself. I'm like, no, you don't. So we sort of go through all this. And she was like, oh, wow, that makes so much sense. And, you know, most kids are not that interested in listening to their parents talk about learning theory. But, you know, it's like, it, it's, it's not, it's not complex, but it, it's that blind feedback. I think that's part of it. But we don't teach students, smart students, we don't teach anybody really the best practices. I, I think middle school would be a fine time to start. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. I, could, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think that this is one of the huge, you know, a, I wouldn't say a huge failing, but I think uh, I'd like to turn it and make it more positive and, and say that I think this is a real opportunity area for primary and secondary education to really pick up on this and teach our teach students this stuff early on. Well, early and then woven throughout. Woven throughout the uh, curriculum, yeah. And that's really nice of you to be positive. I'll, I'll, I'll take the other uh, the other side of that. <laughs> I'll be super negative about it. I will say it's a massive cultural failing. It is a yeah. massive cultural failing that we're not teaching students how learning works, the mechanisms of learning. Um, you know, we're seeing this now. Like when, when I talk to students, mostly med students, physicians contact me. Now they have largely, I would say 50% of them have at least heard of retrieval practice. Oh, I need to do that more. I want to learn more about it. Now, now look, 10 years ago, no. Right, no. When I was presenting to you guys. So we're seeing a shift there in the last 10 years. I think there are a lot more people talking about it. I think books like Make It Stick, highly recommended. If you're going to read one book on it, like, like that that book right there, that that really helps make a, make a fence post that we can all culturally build around. But no, I, I absolutely feel like such a massive cultural failing up and down the line of education. But think about this. So think about how far things have come with the science of like exercise and physiology and fitness. Um, yeah. If I wanted to like put on X amount of muscle mass or uh, if I wanted to lose X amount of weight, you can do that. I can find somebody here in my community in West Virginia that could take me through that, either at the gym or a local person through social media, right? Think about Let's talk about movies for a second because we've talked here for several minutes and we haven't gotten into any pop culture yet. So <laughs> think about the idea of, say, they hired um, you know Chris Pratt to be in Guardians of the Galaxy. And right. he was sort of this schlubby, chubby, like laughable, like goofball from Parks and Recreation. Then all of a sudden he turns around and he's absolutely ripped and jacked for this movie. Right. right? have to like give them the obligatory like shirt off sweaty wet <laughs> muscles i worked for this let me put it on screen right like and they can do this they can say it's going to take x amount of time to do this now think about where that was in say 1980 okay right. 40 years ago Ugh. but so back then they were making uh return of the jedi and mm -hmm. uh they they tell carrie fisher hey uh heads up you're going to be in a metal bikini for the first quarter of the movie. So, and they, you know, kind of look at her and they're, you know, obviously not being very uh, politically correct or sensitive to her feelings. Like you need to lose some weight. So did they say, here's a dietitian, here's the exercise plan? No. no, they literally said, eat a lot of celery. And they handed her two leg weights, like those sandbag leg weights. Wow. And they were like, get ready for this, <laughs> this role in a few months, in a few months. Like, the, the, so think about how far, We've come as a society as far as like like aesthetically uh, in, in movies, physically with our weight and conditioning. Right. 
but we right. are in the same place. I feel well, a little different, like we said, a little more awareness, but up to 10 years ago, we were in the same place uh, as far as like awareness of best practices for learning and studying, which brings me, brings me all the way back to you talking about this whole testing effect discovered, identified over a hundred years ago. Right. And the fact that okay, we discovered this back then and here we are, and 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 not every it's it's not a foundational thing that we're teaching everybody. So, yeah. oh, sorry about that tangent. But so so I don't know. So so you know, back throwing it back to you, right? So we we it comes from this idea of the testing effect, showing validity in this idea of retrieval practices. This this idea that attempts at recall improve the learning, right? So we're seeing right. this as far back as then. Then what can you tell us? Yeah, so um, I think that you know, as I as I take a look at the the literature, I think that there were a lot of uh, seminal studies that were done in the 1980s and 90s uh, that that brought a lot of this moved a lot of this 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 theory forward. And so it was. I think it was investigated more deeply and from in, in very different perspectives. And as you pointed out. You know, Make It Stick was one of those those sem seminal books. Like I said, if you haven't read it, you should read it. It's it's really great, and it talks a lot about this, and and much better than I I can. But um, you know, I think it's 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 been it's been a process over several decades of really doing more deep investigation into things like retrieval practice, how it can be applied in the classroom, both from a teaching and learning standpoint, and then really getting the word out. And that's I think that's been that's been the the challenge. And like you said, we've we've moved the needle quite a bit over the last 10 years, but I think we still have, you know, quite a bit of distance left to go. And I always oh. consider myself, you know, I'm not a researcher in this area. Like I said, my background's in pharmacology and toxicology. I'm a I'm a scientist essentially. But I I think that um I, I like to think of myself as a cheerleader for evidence-based learning strategies in a lot of ways, that uh, just promoting it. The more people that we can get the message out to and get talking about this and thinking about it, the better off our students are going to be. And, and, and thus, our, and therefore our society. Yes, um, absolutely. I mean, th th and this is where I think our passions are. It's like, let's empower our these in, these potential engines and give them fuel. And the fuel is, is the learning methodology. Because if you give people the ability to learn anything, to optimize their ability, then we're going to have the rising tide will lift all ships. Um, so when, whenever we think about teaching retrieval practice, I mean, I think you can, you know, we have some videos on the web, on, on the StatMed Learning blog website, on the YouTube channel, you can go and learn about, there's all kinds of stuff on the internet about it now, but just watching a video here and there, or maybe hearing me talk about it or hearing you talk about it, our students aren't going to automatically take to it like the proverbial duck to water or whatever it is. It's like, okay, they understand it, but they're going to often default back to their 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 sort of preset, their 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 original settings, right? So to me, I think the problem is, is I look at like a, a binary situation. This is probably oversimplifying, but that's fine. Where I think on the one hand, you have review-based learning. And to me, I've turned in my in my lexicon review into a bad word. This idea yeah. of review is anytime you have your eyeballs looking over something you've already studied. And it's passive. It gives that sort of that that sense of familiarity. Uh, it entrenches familiarity. It feels productive, that trap of productivity. But you're not really building anything at that point. 
Um, once you've already studied it, once you've already read it, how, whatever that might be, once you revisit it and it's review based, right? So the right. opposite side of review to me is this idea of retrieval practice. That's where it fits for me in that sort of simplistic paradigm. And I like teaching simplistic paradigms and then building outward from it, from a framework. Um, but yeah, the idea of retrieval practice is anytime you attempt to recall something that you've already studied and allowing for failure, right? You allow for failure and then you self-check it. And that's where you either, oh, I validate the stuff that I recalled correctly or, oh, I'm actually fixing the stuff that I, that I, that I, that I got wrong because I'm actually correcting it. Now, to me, the biggest problem, and I want you to think about maybe what you think the biggest problem is with teaching it. For me, the biggest problem is it's a blind improvement when you self-test. So to me, it's like, oh, I say I'm trying to recall 20 facts. Nice round yeah. number. And I remember eight. Didn't I, I didn't get 12. Oh, man, it's terrible. It's less than half, right? So then right. I self-check. Okay, those are the eight I recalled. And one of them was a little off. I fix it. I'm fixing it, quote, unquote, in my head by, by, by seeing it. And then I'm, I'm reaffirming the 12. Now, what, what's happening there is you're solidifying the eight things you recalled. And then you're increasing. Maybe you're not going to remember all 12, but you're increasing what you're going to recall. The right. only way to prove it is to do another self-test. Like there's not like a ticker tape printout, like da -da 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 -da, that prints out of your head, like congratulations, you have improved by 46%. Like, you don't get that, right? It's a blind improvement. So to me, I think that at that very baseline, primal, behavioral, like, like, like gear at the grinds is that it's that you don't get that immediate feedback. So I'll have students in our StatMed class use a very specific form of retrieval practice we set them up with. And you say, you have to do three self-tests on the same thing. And invariably they won't. Like my, my students usually, you say you jump, jump five times, they usually jump 10. But for this, it's just like, they oh, I didn't get to that part. But every now and then they'll, they will do it three times. And then they will come at you like a, like a fanatic. Like they have the, like, a, like a zealot who has been zealot. converted. They're like, hey, 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 I did that. I did that thing on the on the vaginal infections. I did it three times. I'm like, good job. That was that's what I told you to do. They're like, no, it it works. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Like, no, no, you don't get it. I'm like, well, okay. Again, you know, like I'm I am excited. I like when my students validate all the stuff I'm teaching them. But it's funny because they're so reluctant to do it because it's a beat. If you take a beating, right? It's like right. I studied this stuff and I'm attempt that first re attempt to recall cannot, it might not go well at all. It might go horribly. But then you self-check, which is a part of the circuit, and then you get the blind improvement. You only find out if you do another self-test. So anyway, so that that circuit I'm talking about is where I think it breaks down for most students. Um, what is a another problem or similar problem that you might see with like us being the experts saying, please do this, my students? And, and of course, for those of you listening, like we're teaching methodology. We're teaching rationale. We're not just like throwing it out there kind of like we are right now. But right. Um, what, what, what do you think is one of the bigger problems of getting these, our students, our, our PharmDs, our med students to really engage in this? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And it's, it's really the central question, I think, for me in terms of what I do on a, what I mostly do on a day-to-day -day basis. I teach in the curriculum, but I'm, I'm also, um, an academic coach and, uh, work with, uh, our, our students that are in the curriculum that either want to take their learning to the next level or maybe are struggling in their courses and aren't really sure why. 
Right. Uh, they are. And so part part of what I do with them, and this this ties into the retrieval practice piece, is really first sitting down with them and taking a look at different performance metrics, getting them to reflect on how they're preparing for their assessments or their exams, and really, really getting into the diagnostic component of to try to figure out, okay, what kind of strategies are you using? You know, are you using those passive learning strategies like rereading your notes or recopying your notes or re-listening to lectures over and over again. Um, you know, we talk a little bit about, um, are you cramming your studying in three or four yeah. days for an exam, or are you blocking your study, uh, meaning that you pick one or two days out of the week to study just one subject for many, many hours, and, th- and that can be problematic. As, as, as opposed to distributing the, the, yeah, distributed, the space, learning. yeah, distributed practice with the spacing mm-hmm. effect, which is another evidence-based learning strategy, right? Yes. Which is I'm a big fan of. But, you know, so once I get through that process, it's it's really about I think the, the barrier for me as a coach is really getting them to understand that what they're doing is not working and doing more of it is not the solution. Right. We're doing it hard. And Jim, isn't that I think that that's a great one right there. Yeah. It is, it's, you're trying to get the kid that doesn't know how to swim to let go of the side of the pool because. Right. In their mind, they're like, I made it this far doing this thing, rereading, recopying, rewatching. You're like, I made it this far. I'm gonna I'm I'm getting my doctorate. I'm in yeah. a doctoral program. Like, I made it this far doing this thing. And you're telling me that not not to do that anymore. Yeah, it's crazy. It's great. And when you think about it, I can certainly understand where they're coming from, right? I mean, it's a huge leap of faith. You know, who you know, who you're sitting there with the student and looking at you like, who are you? You know, yeah. and you're asking me to totally do a retool on how I prepare for these exams. And especially if they're not doing well, they're yeah. less likely to take that risk and make the jump. And I, and I think that that's what you and I are talking about. I've, one thing I've learned over the year, year and a half I've been coaching, doing academic coaching, is that it's behavior change. You know, understanding retrieval practice like you talked about, it's not rocket science, right? It's it's easy to understand that the more yeah. time you bring, the more times you bring information to the front of your brain, you try to remember it, the more deeply encoded that that information becomes in your long-term memory. And we even know from a neurophysiologic standpoint that there are neuroadaptive changes that occur in the brain at the level of the neuron when you are encoding information. So we know an awful lot about this, not only from a, a theoretical or a practical standpoint, but also from a biological standpoint. So I guess, you know, I wrote, I really like what you said, what you said um, was about how you get your students to try it, yeah. right? Get them to try it so that they can see that it's effective. And, that, and I do a very similar thing um, in, in my coaching sessions with students and we'll say, all right, here's a couple of different ways we can go about this. Let's practice it and try it and see if, if you can see its effectiveness. And usually it's very, very quick that they pick up on it. The key, I think, for us to keep in mind, and of course, anybody listening, don't pick like an entire lecture to try it on. Right. Pick, pick like a half a column of something. Pick a slide. A slide. That's exactly what I do. I start with a slide. Start small and iterate three times. Yep. Iterate three times. Pick two slides, interleave them between each other. I don't care. But do it once. Recall, get your butt kicked, self-check. Oh, okay, blah, blah, blah. You're not going to feel it. You're not going to, you're just going to be like, oh, wow, I just got punched in the face. That's fine. You're not going to be like, aha, I just learned this. That's not it. Do it again. Self-check. Do it again. Space it out a little bit. Put some stuff in between. That, that to me is the key. 
um, for, for that proof of concept. So I, I think like what we're talking about is the difficulty of getting them to actually try to be able to see it. So I'd say two to three iterations with self-checking, spacing it in between, small run, not big run. If it works mm -hmm. in a small run, it'll work in the big run, it unfolds. And then the other one, like I said, I think you, that I'm sort of underscoring that you, that you brought up, is we're trying to get them to abandon their old way, which did, I mean, in the back, back of their mind, they're like, yeah, but that worked. Yeah. That got me. I mean, even if they're unhappy, they're, they're still like, that got me this far. And then I think the most logical conclusion to draw, and you said this, was, well, if I did that, say, for you know three times per topic in, the, in my old life, pre-med you know, right. pre school, then I'm just going to do it six times now. It's just more in, in, in my PharmD or my med school program. Therefore, I'll just do more of the same. That, that's a very logical conclusion to draw. It's just yeah. it's wrong. If somebody's doing it this, these ways that were sort of disparaging and that works for you, more power to you. I don't want to talk about all, all students being the same. Um, right, because they are. You're, and you're absolutely right. There are students that, that are, you know, you could throw them. You know, I always laugh because, you know, I have a teenage daughter just like you do. And, and she's very, very bright. And I always say, you know, you could throw her out in the middle of the desert in a, in a paper bag with a bunch of books and she would learn just as well. Uh, as yeah. she does, it doesn't matter the conditions. She's just right. the natural learner. Yeah, my my, my wife, my my wife is one of those people. My wife yeah. is a clinical pharmacy specialist infectious disease. Like, Kara's like, what are you doing? How are you? Like, do they just like read it three times? Do they read the questions carefully? And like, this is not this is not the conversation because you know, she's on the other end of it. Yeah, but, you know, and, and just I don't mean to interrupt, but I think that what you just said there was so, so important is, you know, especially if we have any educators that are listening to the podcast and are are, are thinking about, you know, trying to um, teach students about retrieval practice. You know, I always tell the, the faculty that I work with and I and I also have um, a, a number of um, uh, postdocs and PhDs uh, fellows that I um, I work with to help prepare them for careers in academics and teach them. Uh, how to teach. And I always tell them, remember, you're out, you're an outlier, just like your wife is, just like my daughter is, you're an outlier. And as you approach students and you're teaching them this technique or any technique to study and prepare for an assessment, just remember that what worked for you is probably not going to work for that student, especially if they're struggling. So that's, right. I think that's really important. Yeah. And I, I do think, I think that's super important. And I think I would have been one of those students had I been. Yeah, me, oh yeah. I was one of those students. So. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to the StatMed podcast. And be sure to look for part two of this conversation. If you like this show, we hope you'll subscribe. You can find more test taking and studying strategies specifically developed for med students and physicians over at our blog on statmedlearning.com. Thanks for listening.